we are once again. Hey, I'm glad that you guys are here tonight. I hate that you could not have heard me Monday night because that's the deepest my voice has ever been in my whole life. It was awesome. I ran around singing Johnny Cash songs all day. It was the coolest thing ever. I talked and Bear looked at me funny. I was like, trust me, baby. It's me. I'll be 14 again before you know it. Uh, but it's coming back. Uncle Tyson went to get me some coffee. Because I need a little hit on that coffee. A little bump to get me going. <clears throat> if I cough a lot, I'm sorry. If it gets uh, like obnoxious, I'll take this microphone off. Because a cough in a microphone is crazy. If you've got a Bible, open it up to Acts. Chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 26. And we're going we're gonna to go through verse 38. I think that's 12 verses. I never know if it's 12 or 13. I get confused. Uh, but it's a fascinating story that we're going to read tonight. Have you ever heard the saying, I was at the wrong place at the wrong time? Yes. Do you have one of those stories about yourself? Don't share it. Have you ever heard the story, uh, been at the right place at the right time? Yes. Has anybody ever had that happen to them? Like you walked in the parking lot and somebody like dropped $100 and instead of giving it back to them, you kept it and went and bought something in the store? Something like that? Well... <coughs> I have a funny right place, right time story. Uh, I was reading, uh, this dude was telling a story about his dad, because like, not everybody, but a lot of people w grew up with like just a crazy dad. Like they have crazy stories. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. You know mine, they were, they were, they were usually physical. Um, and I never won any of those. But uh, this, this dude's dad, he was telling a story about how just crazy his dad would be when he would get mad. And they had a microwave in the house. Raise your hand if you ever used a microwave. What is the one thing a microwave is supposed to do? Heat food up, right? It can, it can turn a hot pocket from your freezer into the hottest thing in the world. Legitimately. If you open up a hot pocket and poured it on cement, it would... It would burn through it, except for the middle of the Hot Pocket. It's still always a cube of ice. I don't get it. Um, you think that they would redesign that somehow. But uh, their microwave, like, it, it slowly stopped working. Like, if, the, you know, you're cooking Easy Mac, it's like two minutes. That bad girl's ready to go. The Easy Mac started taking five minutes and then seven minutes and then ten. And the dad got some leftovers out of the refrigerator, and he started heating them up in the microwave. And he did it for, like, two minutes, and nothing happened. And he did it for four and then he had 30 minutes invested in to warm up leftovers out of the refrigerator. I don't know how your father would have handled it. I got an idea how mine would, and it's similar to the dude in the story. He said he was sitting on the couch watching TV, and he hears his, his dad go on a tirade using words that I'm not going to use right now. And he said before he knew it, he noticed his dad had ripped the microwave off of the wall while still yelling at a microwave that cannot yell back at you, calling it all kinds of things, which isn't true because it's a piece of machine, so it can't be those things. And he gets to the front door and just kicks it open. I, think, I, I don't remember if he said they had to get a new front door, but the dad kicked the front door open, went to the yard and threw the microwave down in the yard and was kicking it. The cool thing about the story is he said he ran to the door and while his dad is kicking the microwave in the yard, I don't know what he's going to do with it when he's finished kicking it, a dude drives by, stops, puts his car in reverse <laughs> and reverses back and watches this dude kicking the microwave who doesn't notice him and he starts yelling at him from his car. He's like, hey, hey man, um, I notice you're, uh, you're kicking your microwave right now. Would you like a new one? I, I have one in my car. I just got a new one. This one still works fine. I was taking it to the dump. Would you, you look like you need it? Would you like to have it? So he went to the dude's car, got the microwave out, walked by into the house looking at his old one, talking about his new girlfriend while he walked away from his old one. Went inside. I guess heated up his meal that was still cold from the other one. Um, that dude was just at the right place at the right time. It was a combination of two things. <coughs> oh, man. Was that super loud? I'm sorry. Um, but we have those things in our life as well. They're God-ordained things. They're called divine appointments. It's when God has us at the right place at the right time 
to do something to bring him glory, to do something that's going to bring him honor. Usually it involves helping another person in their holiness or walking with someone else through their salvation. And that's what's happening in the story. It's a story, it's, very, it's quite famous in the church world. It's called Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, it involves two men of completely different backgrounds who look nothing alike, but they have one thing in common. God designed for them to meet at this point in time. You should be there by this point. If not, it's going to be up on the screen. Hey, Bethany, I have these broke up, so you're going to have to skip around a little bit to get to them, okay? Starting at verse 26. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. That sounds like a nice destination. Then in verse 27 it says, And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a shepherd, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life was taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the power that we find in it. Um, God, let this be more than just a story about an Ethiopian eunuch and a dude named Philip. God, let us see the power in this, how it relates to us even now. God, I pray that you have brought lost people in here, God, and you will reveal to them the condition of their heart. God, please correct, convict, God, and equip in this place. God, there's nobody like you. We love you. We trust you. Father, what you want to give, we receive, and we receive what you want to give. Exalt the name of Jesus in this place. God, amen. All right, we're going to kind of break it down. Wait. Todd, did you make this? Let's get, that's real friendship. I want you all to clap for Todd. <clears throat> Todd's been with me for a long time. He will have been at this church for three years next week. Shout out to Todd. Um, I'm telling the story involving Ty later, so it's very fitting. Servant's heart. First, you're going to ask. Now, angel of the Lord has said to Philip, you should be thinking, who in the crap is Philip? And why are we talking about him? I would like to think that his friends probably called him Phil. Maybe not, though. Um, Philip was one of the first deacons ever called in the church. That's pretty important because he was one of the first. Um, but this thing that he did, he served and he preached anytime he had to. Up until this moment, Philip was there when Stephen was stoned to death, when uh, Saul got people to throw big rocks at him and he died because he was preaching about Jesus. Um, and then from there, Philip went into Samaria and what happened was this really cool thing. When Philip showed up in Samaria, he started telling the story of Jesus and people started getting saved. It worked 2,000 years ago and it still works now. If you will show up somewhere telling the story about people, about Jesus, people are going to end up getting saved because there's nothing that saves people other than Jesus and telling his story. So Philip's in Samaria preaching about Jesus and the church starts growing and they're just baptizing the mess out of people. It's like a mega church before there's a mega church. It was awesome. Benji, I'm telling you, it was awesome. I wasn't there, but I can imagine. Um, so all of a sudden he is super successful in this season of his life. And then an angel of the Lord tells him, Hey, I want you to go, uh, I want you to leave all the success you've been in 
And I want you to go to this road that's in a desert and just walk on it. Like God doesn't tell him what he's going to do when he gets there. He says, I want you to leave all this success and I want you to go walk down a road that's in the middle of a desert by yourself. I'm, like I said, I got a lot of problems. I'm like, hold on. Like we got success here. They're paying my salary is very nice at this church in Samaria. I'm in relevant magazine in Christianity today. It's like me and Stephen Furtick. Who I love and I care about. Um, like God, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Like you want me to leave? Why would I leave the success? Listen. There are going to be times in your life, especially when the older you get. This is for you later. This is not so much for you right now. You're going to be a part of some good things and success, some successful things. Maybe it is for you right now. But God's going to call you to something else that does not look near as nice, that doesn't have near as bright as lights or success or notoriety. But it's better to be obedient than to be famous. Better to be obedient than it is to be rich. So that's a side note. That wasn't even for tonight. Um, but it says, I want you to go on this road from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So not only that, he's saying, I want you to go to a desert. He's saying, I want you to travel down this road. This road it's talking about from Jerusalem to uh, Gaza is about 49 miles long. In the middle of a desert. Raise your hand if you've ever been to the desert. Thank you. Not many of us. There is somebody in this room who was with me in the desert. I complained the whole time we were there. Did I not, Zach? Now, was the air conditioner out in our vehicle? Yes. Was it 114 degrees? Yes. Was I pretty sure that we were on the outskirt of Hades? Absolutely. I was like, just let me die so I can go to heaven. It's so hot here. But Philip's just like, all right. He just starts walking. Like he doesn't have a car with an air conditioner on it. He doesn't even have a moped with a little fan. He's just like, goodbye, success. Here I come, obedience. He just starts walking for 49 miles. I don't even walk over to the school for lunch meet. I ride the golf cart because it's either too hot or too cold. He just starts walking. <laughs> and he doesn't like have a phone and AirPods so he can listen to music. He's like, there's a tumbleweed. Like just walking. But he's walking in obedience. So there's joy in that. Anytime you're walking in obedience, no matter the circumstance, you're going to have joy because your heart was made to be obedient and obey the things that God was calling you to. So he just starts walking. And see, this is the bad thing about it. There were actually two roads from Jerusalem to Gaza. One of them was called the King's Highway. It's not like it was paved or anything because that didn't exist. But it had like what we would call gas stations along the way. It's where the important people traveled. It was a little bit nicer. 99% of traffic went on the King's Highway. There was another one called the Desert Road that nobody traveled on. And God said, I want you to go to that one. And just Philip just got up and he did it. How do we know that he got up and he did it? Because in verse 27, it starts up, he rose up and he went. If you were an underliner or a highlighter, you need to underline or highlight. He rose up and went. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. Um, because I really want to talk about who was there. And there was an Ethiopian. An Ethiopian. Ethiopia is a country in Africa. So he goes on this desert road where nobody's supposed to be. And a dude from a completely different country is there. And this is what it says. It says he was a eunuch. I'm going to be very brief on this because we can't spend too much time here. If you want to know what a eunuch is, go ask your parents. Or come to me later. I just don't want to cover it right now just strictly because it's weird. Um, I've already explained it to one adult today. don't want to explain it to you guys. Um, but anyway, and then it says he was a court official of Candace, which is awesome. But see, the lady's name is not actually Candace, like the sister in Phineas and Ferb. Like, Candace back in the day in Ethiopia was a title. It was like Caesar. Do you know what a Caesar is? Like Caesar Augustus? Or like president. Like somebody who's a president. 
Um, it was a, Candace was like the title of the queen. So her name was not actually Candace. It could have been like Barbara or something. She was just called Candace. It's a title of power. And it says, so he was a court official for Candace, which means he has a lot of power. She was queen of the Ethiopians, and he was in charge of all of her treasure. <coughs> so not only was he super powerful, he was rich as well because he was in charge of all of her wealth. He's in charge of all of the wealth of that country. Remember Joseph from the Old Testament? We've talked about him before. He was in charge pretty much of all the wealth of Egypt at one point. She's in, he is in charge of all the wealth in Ethiopia. And then it goes on and says, He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading scripture. A um, couple of things about this. Not only is this a powerful and rich man, but this is a very driven man. He is very curious about God, he is very curious about just the God of all creation. The reason that we know that is he's from Ethiopia, right? That is roughly 1,000 miles away from Jerusalem. That is a long trip. Any of you ever driven 1,000 miles before? Same people who've been to the desert because we drove it to go out there to a desert place where things are dying and nothing's alive. That's when you know you got old. You're like, I know what sounds fun. Let's drive to the desert. False. Don't go on that trip. Um, so he, went, he drove a thousand miles through the desert in a chariot. A chariot is not like a Bentley. A chariot is not even like a 1989 Maxima. A chariot at best is going to go about 30 miles per hour. And that is on the high side of it. So what that means is that this Ethiopian, let's call him Eugene because he needs a name. I don't like calling him the Ethiopian eunuch. It just sounds mean. So Eugene has traveled 1,000 miles. It would have taken him over a month to get from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. In the heat with no air conditioner in this chariot. So he traveled for a month just to go worship. And there's a possibility because you remember it says... Um, that he was reading the prophet Isaiah? Yes? There's a possibility. We don't know where he bought this at. It's not like he had a Bible. He didn't have this sitting in there with him. So at some point, he had bought an actual scroll of the book of Isaiah, which a common man can't do. He had to be freakishly rich, like in charge of all the money in Ethiopia. Did he buy it in Jerusalem while he was there? We don't know. It's very unlikely that he bought it in Ethiopia because we don't even know how he even knew about the God of Israel. Some scholars say it was during the time of Solomon that some, an Ethiopian had come to visit and then went back and took the news of the God of Israel. But the fact that he, look, he spent a month going to Jerusalem just to worship. He spent insane amounts of money that we do not possess to buy some scripture to read it. Like so far, going to church and reading the Bible has cost him a whole lot. His life has been on hold for over 30 days. He made a house payment to buy some scripture. He has sacrificed a lot for what we would call the gospel. But the crazy thing about it is he is an unbeliever. He is someone who is just curious about Jesus. He's not a follower. He hasn't surrendered his life to Jesus. He's not what we would call a Christian. He is curious about the God of the Bible. But he's not a believer. How many people do you go to school with that go to church and they worship? And they'll even read their Bible a little bit. But they're not really believers. They don't have faith in Jesus. How many of us come in here every Wednesday? And we worship and we'll read our Bible. But we don't really have faith in Jesus. Like what has it cost you to get a Bible? Did you make a house payment to get one? What did it cost you to come and worship? Did, it, did you have to travel for over 30 days in the middle of a desert with no air conditioner? No. 
Like, the, it, it cost this guy something. And he still didn't have faith in Jesus. So my question for you is, have you been coming here? Have you been reading the word, but as an unbeliever? As somebody who doesn't really have faith in Jesus, it's just what we do because we live in the South. I have a buddy, some of you know. Um, he is a church planner in the greater New York area. Um, and I was talking to him not long ago, and he's like, dude, it's not that, it's not that hard to pick out Christians up here because there's so little of them. If they mention Jesus, there's a good chance they're a follower. He says, it's just wild. I said, I'm sure it is, but imagine you being back here where everybody acts like they are, but very few actually follow Jesus. People will profess one thing, but they live completely different. So don't mistake coming to worship and reading your Bible as a sign that you are a believer. Is it a sign of following Jesus? Yes, but it doesn't mean that you are. And we're going to see that further on into the text. Verses 29 through 30. It says, 29 starts off. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran. If you are an underliner or a circler or a highlighter, you want to do, so Philip ran. Ran to him. <coughs> oh, my bad. Missed that one. Reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you were reading? This is a very pointed question. Do you understand what you were reading? God commands Philip to do something else. When he gets there, he walks up to this guy who's in a chariot, who probably isn't going 30 miles an hour because Philip ran up and called him. Nobody's running 30 miles an hour. Maybe Ty, but he wasn't alive back then. And he says, hey, rich guy up there. <laughs> it's kind of like the ultimate eavesdropper. Like just some random stranger walks up nice to his chariot. He's singing along to the song, but there's not a radio. So he's singing along with the scripture. He's like, bro, do you understand what you're reading? Like what he's doing is he is engaging this Ethiopian dude in a gospel conversation. Like this is huge. When was the last time you engaged anybody in a gospel conversation? Like a gospel-centered conversation. When was the last time? I want you to, don't tell me. I want you to like internalize that. When was the last time you were hanging out with people, whether they're your friends, your acquaintances, teammates, or whatever, and just somehow got into a gospel-centered conversation? Because those are the kind of conversations that change all of history for people. Verse 31. <clears throat> and he said, this is the eunuch, Eugene. How can I, unless someone guides me, and he invited Philip to come up and to come up and sit with him. The huge thing about this is we understand without the guiding of the Holy Spirit, you're never going to understand what's going on in the Bible. Without the guiding of the Holy Spirit, the Bible is never going to make sense to you. You can be the smartest man or woman in the world. And if you read the scripture without the guiding of the Holy Spirit or indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you're never going to know what's going on. Ever. That's how we know that this man is not yet a believer, not yet a follower, does not yet have faith in Jesus because the Holy Spirit is not indwelling in him. Now, does that mean that some texts aren't hard for Christians to understand? No. There are still some texts I read now, 14 years into this, that I say, I'm not sure on that one. I'm going to have to pray for a while. But as a whole, when you become a believer, when you, have a, when you are following Jesus, his spirit indwells with you. You can ask him to allow you to understand what you are about to read, and he will give you understanding that you did not yet have until that moment. So, and the cool thing is, is the Ethiopian, Eugene, says, hey, come up here and sit with me. Listen, the huge thing about this is God tells Philip to go to a desert place where there should be no one. At this exact moment, they meet each other on the road where this is not coincidence. Philip hears him reading uh, the book of Isaiah, says, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian Eugene says, no, I don't. Will you come up here and sit with me? 
People are going to invite you into their lives. And that is not by chance. You have the friends that you have. You have the teammates you have. You have the family that you have for a reason. And that is because God put you there to build his kingdom. God put you there to make an impact. Who has invited you into their lives? And are you taking that opportunity for granted? <coughs> like, who, like who has invited you into their life? It's not by chance that you're there. Whether you know it or not, you come here long enough, you've invited me into your life. I'm not going to waste this opportunity to try to help you become who it is God made you to be. Do I want you to think I'm the most awesome 30-year-old you've ever met? Yes, until I'm 40. Then I want you to think I'm the most awesome 40-year-old ever met. Yes, but my main goal is that the invitation that I have into your life is that you will grow in your holiness. You will grow in being a disciple of Jesus and a disciple maker. Who has invited you into their life, but you've been missing the opportunity to pray for them? You've been missing the opportunity to have gospel conversations with. Who's invited you into their life that you're missing the opportunity to invite them to come with you to church? Remember, we don't invite people just to fill up seats. We don't invite people just to fill up the new room that, my goodness, maybe we'll be ready by Christmas. We invite to be a part of a life change story. That's the only reason we invite people in is so that they will see a group of believers worshiping Jesus and their lives be forever changed when Jesus nudges their heart and says, hey, I want to save you too. So don't waste the invitation that people give you into their lives. And then pick it up in verse 32 through 34. It says this. Ty, what time is it? <laughs> Doing great. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. This is what Eugene was reading. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter. And like a lamb... <clears throat> Like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And Eugene said to Philip, About whom I ask, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or is it about someone else? Eugene, who traveled 1,000 miles to go worship. Eugene, out in the heat, who spent more money than we could ever imagine on an on a Old Testament scroll of Isaiah, says, who is this person that Isaiah is talking about? Like God has put the ball on a tee for Philip to give the greatest gospel presentation of all time. Because see, this is why I was talking, well, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, I don't want to rush it, don't want to rush it. But this is actually the text that uh, I want to read it to you. It's, uh, it's not going to be on the screen. I just want to read it to you. This is where. This is where. I haven't washed my hair in a while. This is where Eugene happens to be when Philip walks up. This happens to be just by coincidence we'll say. Not really false. Wink wink. Where he happens to be. This is Isaiah 52 13 through 53 12. And you tell me if this was a coincidence or if it was God-ordained. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of a children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. <clears throat> Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. And we turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who do you assume this is about? Then let's continue. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression, the judgment, he was taken away. And for his generation who considered that he cut off from the land who is living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him and to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That is a couple of verses in the book of Isaiah, thousands of years before Jesus is born in a manger, that tells the story of what Jesus is coming to do. That is what Eugene the eunuch was reading when Philip happened to walk up. It is not by coincidence that's where he was. God ordained for that moment because that was the time that they were supposed to meet. The people that you meet in your life, it's all a God-ordained thing. You are supposed to meet them when you do. Not a moment earlier, not a moment later, right then. What if Philip would have came later? And he was like reading at the end of Isaiah, like the end. Like the presentation of Jesus would not have been sitting right there. That's why it's so important that he obeyed immediately. Um, And then in verse 35 it says this. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began with the scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. I know I've already asked this, but when was the last time you told anybody about the good news of Jesus? I would dare say that some of us have went a whole year without talking about Jesus. Outside of camp. With somebody. Outside of this room. That is borderline tragic. But he was able to, because remember it said he started with scripture. Do you have the ability to explain scripture to people? Or do you say, I, I just believe this because I believe it. Like, can you explain, can you walk people through scripture? Can you defend your faith? I need some coffee. <coughs> can you defend your faith with scripture? I hope that you can. Because, see, he said he told them the good news about Jesus. But like my buddy Brian said earlier, it's hard to talk about the good news unless you bring up the bad. And the bad news is this. This is how you walk somebody through Scripture. Romans 3.10 says this. It's not going, I don't think it's up there. I'm just going to read it to you. No, it is. I forgot about that. Romans 3.10 says this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands and no one seeks God. That's pretty self-explanatory, right? Like, I don't need to break that down for you. Nobody seeks after God on their own. Then it goes on to say in verse 12, All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. You are a bad person. Your parents have probably told you you were awesome. And to them, you are. But there's nothing about you that seeks after God without Him calling you first. There's nothing about you that is good outside of Jesus in your place. And that's the same thing for me and every adult in here. That is the bad news. And because none of us seek after God, therefore we must be seeking after something. And that something is sin. And when we engage in that sin, we become a sinner. And Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Because of your sin, You are dead in your trespasses. And dead people can't do anything. 
The dead don't seek after God. God draws people to himself. But the good news is at the end of 623 when it says, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what Philip is able to tell this Ethiopian. Because Philip is living it out. like he, he couldn't do what I just did and opened up and say, well, let's turn to Romans 6.23. This was not in existence yet. What he was able to do was say, dude, this is what you're reading about. This is the man it was about. Let me tell you about him. Because I'm a deacon in his church. and It's blowing up worldwide. Like, he was born in a manger. All of heaven rejoiced in worship. He grew up. Never sinned, lived a perfect life. He was tormented by the devil one time. He said, turn this rock into bread. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that because that's a sin. And then he had these disciples who he loved a lot. They were idiots, but he loved them anyway. And then this one time he was walking on water. And then this other time he was taking a nap in a boat while there was a storm. Then he got up, told the storm to stop, and it did. That was awesome. And then there was this other time everybody was hungry. And he made like this massive meal out of some fishes and some breads. And then there was this other time he put some mud in this dude's eyes and said, Rogo, wash the mud off. You're going to be able to see. The dude could see. There was this one time with wine, but Baptists don't talk about that. So I'm going to breeze by it. And then there was this other time he did this other thing. And then we were, I mean, he was just doing stuff, man. He was throwing demons out into some pigs. I don't know what the bacon, what's wrong with the bacon. But he threw the demons out of people into the pigs. And then you're not going to believe this. He allowed himself to be arrested. He got beat and never complained. That's why it said the sheep that did not speak out. He hung on a cross when he could have got down because I saw all the other stuff he did. And he did all that because he loves us so much because in our sin we are dead and will never possess eternal life. And he died in our place, but bro, hold on. While all of hell was celebrating, he kicked the doors down and walked out of the grave with victory in hand. And we have new life in Jesus if we believe that we are sinners and he came to take our place. And then he did this thing. He got baptized one time. We're not really sure why he did because he was perfect, but he did it in our place. So we respond when we have faith in Jesus, we get baptized too. That's the story of Jesus. And man, I was in Samaria at a kicking church. And he sent me out in the middle of nowhere in the desert. But I know why he sent me out here now. So that I could talk to you in this moment and tell you the story about Jesus. And then, so he just presents the gospel story to him. And then this is what happens. Verses 36 through 38. And they were going along the road and they came to some water. Dude, this is just wild. Because remember, where are they at? In a desert. There's not water in a desert. There's not supposed to be water there. God provided a miracle, and then he provided some water so that that miracle could be carried out. That's just crazy to me. And then he says, see, here is some water. See the exclamation point? Excitement. There is water. There should not be water here. What is a penguin doing here? Brian, you're probably the only person who knows that. There's not a penguin in the story. That's an old movie reference. But there should not be water here. And then, the, and then Eugene says, and he commanded the chariot to stop. Because he had a driver. He was rich. I would love a driver. You guys can apply to be my driver after you get your license. And they both went down into the water. <coughs> Philip and Eugene, and he baptized him. What do we know about these last couple of verses? One, baptism is important. If not, God would not have provided water in the middle of a desert. Does baptism save you? No. But it is usually your first step of obedience in aligning your life with Jesus. Some of you in here have, been, have, have had a profession of life change. If I was a sinner, but God saved me. But you have not followed through with baptism. You need to be obedient. Talk to me. We will line up a time and baptize the mess out of you. Not in the middle of the desert. It will be over there. The water's heated. Don't, don't worry. Baptism is important. Um, but see, the cool thing about this is the Ethiopian. See, it was not Philip's job to save the Ethiopian. Eugene, you can't save anybody. I can't save anybody. It was his job to tell the story of Jesus. It was his job to get up and go. God takes care of the results. Listen, 
You're supposed to pray for people. You're supposed to engage them in gospel-centered conversations. You're supposed to present them, tell them the story of Jesus. But it's not your job to save them. You can't save anybody. But you can be obedient and allow God to do the saving work. But see, the beautiful thing about this is, I told you that, that Eugene was lost. He was not a believer. But he was... He was persistent and hungry and pursuing God, trying to figure out who God was. And there's this beautiful promise that God makes in Jeremiah 29, 13. And this is what it says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. If you are half-heartedly seeking after God, you're not going to find him. You may find that it's hard to pray. You may find that it's hard to lift your hands in worship. And you may find that it's difficult to understand scripture. But you're not going to find God with a half-hearted attempt. Eugene is searching with his whole heart because God has pricked it and said, Hey, come find me. We know it's not half-hearted. He traveled a thousand miles in the heat. We know it's not half-hearted because he spent insane amounts of money to buy a scroll of text that he didn't even understand. But he was seeking after God after, with his whole heart because God was calling him to himself. Do not half-heartedly search after God because you might find some things, but it won't be him. When God calls you to himself, you come with your whole heart. And anybody in here who, is, who has a life-changed story, who has been saved, can tell you about when God drew their heart to them they came with all that they have not just half of them <clears throat> three things i want us to take away from this we're getting close to the end benji don't worry the first one they're all questions what has god called you to that you've been avoiding what has god called you to that you've been avoiding because we've all got something all believers have something. God is always calling you to do something. And when you complete that, he's going to call you to do something else. And when he calls you to do that, he's going to call you. When you complete that, he's going to call you to do something else. But see, this is the problem. We like details, right? God, why are you calling me to do this? Instead of just being obedient and going to do it, we want to know why and then what's next and what's next. He's not going to tell you the second step until you take the first one. That's how he operates. Um, it's like these lighthouses um, in Norway, like these ship captains back in the day. They had treacherous waters that they had to navigate, so they strategically placed these lighthouses out in the water. But see, the problem is, until you got to the first lighthouse, you couldn't see the second one. And until you got to the second one, you could not see the third one. Until you got to the third one, you could not see the fourth one. That is oftentimes the way that God works. He is going to call you to do one thing, but you're not going to know the second step until you take the first. And we're so scared because we want to see it all laid out there before us. We're called to live by faith, not by Google Maps. Like we have to have faith in our life. You've got to take that first step before God's going to reveal the second one. So what is God calling you to that you've been avoiding? Why are you, why are you avoiding it? Why are you delayed in your obedience? Why aren't you doing what God's calling you to do? Think about that. Why are you avoiding what God's calling you to do? Because if you avoid it, you're going to miss a divine appointment. Remember it said, I told you to underline, he rose up and he went and he ran. The reason for that is because he got to Eugene at the right time. You, some of you guys are going to miss out on being a part of a miracle because you will not do what God's calling you to do. You want to live a life that is just mesmerizing for the gospel, then be obedient to what God calls you to do. Don't avoid what he's calling, calling you out to. And some of you may say that God's not calling me. I don't want you to raise your hand if that's you. You're like, God hasn't called me to do anything. My response to you is God only calls those that are his. He calls you to salvation. He saves you. Then he calls you to do things along the way. He calls those that belong to him.
So you may want to evaluate that situation. So the first question is, what has God called you to that you've been avoiding? The second one is, whose life have you been invited into? Don't miss that. You've got great opportunities right now because like, you're hanging out with the same people for like five years. Don't waste these opportunities because they are going to be much less later on in life. You can go ask every adult in here who's not still in school. You've been into, invited into lives and you could have eternal impact if you don't waste them. And think about this. All of you individually, look all around. We don't get the opportunities that you do. Cameron's not going to get my opportunities. I'm not going to get his. Benji's not going to get Cameron's. Cameron's not going to get his. Kiwan's not going to get Cohen's. Cohen's not going to get Kiwan's. And so on all through the room. You have unique opportunities in people's lives that nobody else is going to get. Even though all of you may know each other, each one of you have a unique opportunity into the other's life. Don't waste those opportunities. There's people that you guys can have gospel-centered conversations with that I'm never going to have the chance to. There's people that are going to hang out with you at the school that probably aren't going to come over here. And when I'm on campus, they like run away. One, because I'm a 30-year-old dude walking around campus. Even though teachers tell me to go to class and sit down oftentimes while I'm over there. That's why I'm growing my beard back. So the first question is, what has God called you to that you've been avoiding? The second, whose life have you been invited into? And the third, when is the last time you told anyone the story of Jesus? I know I've asked that before tonight, but we've really got to evaluate that one. Because I want you to find a follower in this book, a follower of Jesus, that doesn't unashamedly tell the story of Jesus. I'm talking about they're getting put in prison. They're getting beat. They're getting boiling oil poured on them. They're getting stoned. And they're still telling people about Jesus. Nowhere in here is there somebody who is a professing Christian that is not constantly telling people the story of Jesus. Like Philip, when he's talking to Eugene, he's telling the story of Jesus. What he came to do, what he did do, what he's still doing, what he's doing in Philip's life. What Philip's seen him do in other people's life. People need to hear the story of Jesus. That's the only thing that's going to save them. And if you're like, well, Jesus isn't doing anything in my life, then he's not there probably. Jesus is never somewhere not doing something. There's power in knowing the scripture like Philip did. Um, there was this Muslim priest, I guess that they're priestesses. Um, and he was doing a, a research paper on people of the Quran. You know, the Quran is the, uh, is the Muslim book. Uh, the people that he was doing a paper on was Abraham. He may sound familiar to you. Joseph, no, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, and a prophet that they call Jesus. So he got through with Abraham. He got through with... Jacob, he got through with Joseph, and he got to Jesus, and he was doing the paper. And he went, and he borrowed a Bible from somebody, because he said he wanted more background details on this man called Jesus. And he started reading through the New Testament, and he realized that this Jesus was more than a prophet. He was God's only son. The dude was saved out of the religion of Islam, and now is like a Bible teacher or something. There's power in the text, but there's... So much power in somebody being able to explain it. I want to tell you the impact that Philip had. One, we're still talking about him thousands of years later. He started a mega church in Samaria. And he went to a desert. And he didn't just impact Eugene the Ethiopian. Because Eugene the Ethiopian went back home with way more than just a scroll. He went back home a follower of Jesus. He went back home with faith in Jesus. And do you think that he was quiet about it? Because people who follow Jesus, they talk about him. They tell the story about him. Cool story involving our very own Ty. Ty was a missionary in Thailand a couple years ago. 
before he came here. He does not own it. It's just called Thailand. It's built differently. While he was gone, I prayed the whole time that God would let him live so that he could come serve at Journey Church. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. Ty was at an airport in Thailand. Don't know which one. I know it wasn't JFK. That's in New York. Um, and he was talking to an Ethiopian. Guess what his name was? Yeah. I don't know. Ty didn't know it. But I was hoping it was Eugene. I was really baiting you in and it worked. Um, I don't know his name. We'll pretend it's Eugene. But Ty also said he wasn't a eunuch, so that's positive. Nope. Um, <laughs> and uh, Eugene, yes, we'll go with Eugene. Um, so Ty was talking to this dude named Eugene who is an Ethiopian in the airport. And Ty does what followers of Jesus do. He engaged the guy in a gospel-centered conversation and was telling him the story of Jesus. And the Ethiopian Eugene says, yes, I know Jesus. I am a Christian. Many, many, many Ethiopians are Christians. Do you want to know why, American Thai? Because there was a guy named Philip in the book of Acts who met a guy named Eugene that was an Ethiopian and told him the story of Jesus. He was saved. Philip baptized him. And when he came back to Ethiopia, he started telling the story of Jesus. And people in the nation started getting saved. That is the power of telling the story of Jesus. That is the power of doing what God calls you to do. Of having these divine appointments. Because you're not just impacting that one person. You're going to impact the people that they meet down the road. You're going to impact the people that they have divine appointments with. Because if you tell them about Jesus and they have a life change story, they are not going to help but start telling other people. Thousands of years later, an Ethiopian told Ta about the saving power of Jesus in Ethiopia. Don't miss out on these opportunities. Don't miss out on them. It's a weird story. Because shortly after this, after just we're breezing through this to get you to groups, Philip baptizes them, and then the Holy Spirit carries them off, and he's just disappeared, and the Ethiopian goes back to Ethiopia. It's wild. You should read it on your own. Um, whenever Philip ends up where he is, he just starts preaching about Jesus again. More people get saved. It's phenomenal. Um, don't waste opportunities that you have. Don't waste them. God, thank you for how you love us. God, bless our time in breakout groups now. God, burden our hearts for the things that you're calling us to. God, don't let us waste opportunities to tell the story about Jesus. God, we love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name.